Blog Talk Radio. I'm your host, Paul Runyon, and tonight we present an advanced review on my forthcoming book, Hermetic Yoga Beyond the Middle Pillar. This is a new offering from CHSOTA that has been in the, in, in the works for a long time. The yoga system described and brought to life in this book has been practiced by the OTA since 1975 and is an extension of Israel Regardi's Golden Dawn Middle Pillar exercise following the lightning flash going down the spears from Kether to Malkuth, forming a complete straight-line chakra system similar to the Hindu system of Laya Yoga. In this case, the spears of the Tree of Life are the planets within. This system traces its origin to two German Rosicrucian mystics, Jacob Borm and Johann Gitchell. The late Frederick Adams of Ferriferia was also working on a similar system, and an essay of his is included. Adams also provided the beautiful cover art depicting a goddess in the stars. The book will be followed with a deck of yoga cards, which will enable the practitioner to carry the system in his pocket for meditation and study. This is going to be a great aid to magic and spiritual development, and provides a vital resource that Western magicians have needed for centuries. Now we can call on the gods within and exercise all the powers that our Oriental colleagues have called upon for centuries. So if you want to get a head start on the latest magical tools of empowerment, tune in and we'll start warming up for this session. All right, with that in mind, take a deep breath through your nose, all the way down to your stomach and hold it. I'm going to hold it for four seconds. One and two and three and four. And then let it out of your, let it out your mouth, flattening your stomach completely. And force it out your mouth. And do that for one and two and three and four seconds. And now breathe in through your nose. And as you breathe in, Say inside yourself, say, through me flows a river of unlimited love as you breathe in for four seconds. One, two, three, four. All the way down to your stomach. Fill your stomach with air, or at least imagine that you are filling your stomach with air. That's called pot breathing. And hold that for the count of four. One, and two, and three, and four. And as you breathe it out through your mouth, say aloud, I am one with God. Now what you have done here is you have combined 
you have combined two yoga techniques. One is super sound. That's saying the um, saying the uh, uh, the, the affirmation uh, mantra inside your head. That's through me flows a river of unlimited love. And then the other affirmation, I am one with God as you breathe out. And combining those two techniques, the out loud, the out loud mantra and the super sound uh, mantra increases the effect considerably. And that's one of the secrets that we, that we discuss in the book. Now, um, and the, and the yoga deck that will follow it will be available on Amazon to everybody, not just to, to associate members, although we considered making it just for members for a while, but we thought it might be a good idea to just, you know, do like we have with our other books and videos and make them available to everyone. And that, of course, increases our membership by doing that. Uh, and uh, so uh, what I'm going to do here, I think the best the best way to, to introduce this book, which will be available uh, within the next couple of months on Amazon, look for it. Um, uh, and the title of the book is Hermetic Yoga, Beyond the Middle Pillar. And and the subtitle is The Interior Stars of the Western Esoteric Tradition by Frater Thavion Pogranian, with inclusions by Frater Dodalos, Frederick Adams, and then also, we're going to put our Rites of Magic DVD in a pocket in the back of the book. We'll have a we'll have a, a, a little paper pocket for a DVD back there, so you'll get the Rites of Magic. Now, one of the reasons why we're doing this, Rites of Magic is a very good introduction to the to the CHSOTA, uh, but it also has a chapter on Hermetic Yoga right in the beginning of the uh, right in the beginning of the DVD. So uh, it, 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 it is, in, in a sense, goes right along with the book in that regard. Now, what I'm going to do is I'm going to read you the introduction uh, to the book tonight, and so this will give you, a, well, a, a good introduction to the book. So, introduction to the 2014 edition by Frater Fabian. Nascate Epsom. This book has been a long time in the making. The theory, method, and techniques of spiritual practice it describes have been developed, tried, and tested by members of the Ordo Templi Astartes for nearly 40 years. Much of the material in this work is comprised of updated and collated instructional monographs, journal articles, graphics, and study materials used in the associate membership online and active membership in lodge training programs. This book is intended to serve as a standard text for students and instructors belonging to the OTA. We are making it available to the membership at cost and releasing it to an interested public as part of our series of publications and videos promoting and establishing the validity of the modern Western, Western esoteric tradition. We long ago discovered that the best way to preserve the integrity of secret teachings is to publish them. Really effective magical techniques, such as our once-secret magical mirror method, inevitably leak out, and in the process become oversimplified and misused. A magical program or method can and perhaps should be kept secret while it is in development, but once it is fully operational, there is no necessity for secrecy, unless it involves the illegal, the immoral, or the unhealthy. 
and uh, there is nothing illegal, immoral, or unhealthy, uh, or even fattening about uh, hermetic yoga. To be quite honest, our hermetic magical yoga system initially derived from Francis Ricardi's exposition of his middle pillar exercise from the 1930s Stella Matutina version of the Golden Dawn, the origin of which Rigardi attributes to the Stella Matutina's founder, Dr. Falcon. Rigardi's own middle pillar ritual first appeared in his 1930s publication, The Art of True Healing, which has subsequently been reprinted in Foundations of Practical Magic to 2007. It's important to mention this work in its original version because several succeeding renditions of the middle pillar were significantly edited and revised. And as we progress in our argument for the extended middle pillar as the proper Western Psychic Center arrangement, we will refer back to Rigardi's original essay to support our position. As Rigardi wrote in the complete Golden Dawn system of magic, and I quote, then there is the middle pillar technique whose importance simply cannot be overemphasized in any way. The student who has neglected to achieve considerable proficiency in this particular practice will find himself frustrated at every turn. Now what Rigardi means by that is simply this. The magician draws down macrocosmic celestial power via the lightning flash down the spheres of the tree of life in his microcosmic body of light. Without this internalization of spiritual power, he can do no magic. His batteries are not charged. His fuel tank is empty. His ritual is no more than a dramatic performance. Now, if you're a magician, or if you aspire to be one, and you fully understand and appreciate the implications of the above statement, we will have no difficulty in establishing the validity and the preeminence of our reconstructed Western Hermetic Yoga system. We are com completing the work that regarding began and left unfinished. I say reconstructed because there actually was a European Rosicrucian planetary psychic center arrangement similar to the Laya Yoga Chakra system of India and the Tantric Yoga systems of Tibet, but based upon the capitalistic tree of life and empowered by descending celestial emanations. This hermetic yoga of the West was based on the Pythagorean planetary musical scale from classical times. It was outlined by Johannes Trithemius in the 16th century and developed by Jacob Borm and Johann Gitchell in the 17th century. Both Borm and Gitchell were devout Christian mystics who considered the arrangement to be contemplative rather than magical. But according to Rudolf von Sabotendorf in 1924, it was adopted for practical application by European Rosicrucians and eventually found its way into the Turkish Bektashi Sufi order. Before we go further in this ex, uh, exploration, it is necessary to establish a fundamental difference between the Eastern and Western psychic center systems. In Indian Laya Yoga, a series of etheric chakras located along the spine are empowered by aerial prana, actually oxygen, and activated by internal kundalini, sexual energy coming up from below. Whereas the Western system, in the Western system, uh, a series of astral roses, also located along the spine, are energized by a descent of celestial power 
from the microcosm above and beyond the body down through three dimensions into the microcosm within the body. Awakening the dragon to ascend the ladder of the interior stars. Now, their system uh, in the east is alchemical, elemental, and etheric, whereas ours is Kabbalistic, spiritual, and astral. This is a very important point, and we will refer to it again in more detail as we proceed. The Western system is based on an ancient Pythagorean geocentric model of the universe and the later medieval Kabbalah. The Eastern system is based on alchemy and Vedic mythology. The Western system is transcendental, whereas the Eastern system is elemental. The Western system emphasizes descending emanations. The Eastern system emphasizes ascending aspirations. Both systems are effective and both systems are valid. There is no necessity to establish an interface between the two arrangements, although I have suggested one, especially if such attempts compromise the integrity of either system. Perhaps the best argument is that their system follows the order of the paths of the tree of life and ignores the order of the spheres. If all of this is true, then why did Western Hermetic Yoga go into eclipse, except for its middle pillar expression? While so many Western esoteric schools have adopted thinly varnished versions of John Woodruff's 1911 rendition of the Laya Yoga, the answer to that question is twofold. First, the Western system in Kabbalistic, or more properly, K A B B A L I S T I C, and, and Rosicrucian varieties was not widely known and was practiced secretly. And secondly, Surviving vestiges of it were swept away in the 19th century onslaught of theosophy. Curiously enough, the theosophists, while venerating this system described by Woodruff, at the same time were disinclined to practice it because of the sexual connotations. They may have been anti-Judeo-Christian, but they were still stodgy Victorians in that respect. Regardless of propriety, they venerated it along with uh, all things Eastern, and their impact on Western occultism was pervasive. The Eastern chakra system is symbolically applicable to the paths of the Western tree of life, not to the spheres. But the spheres are the planets within, and the true differentiations of divinity. Once this topology is grasped and appreciated, the appropriateness of the Eastern Chakra arrangement to the West's microcosmic Adam Katman falls into question. Without fully realizing the significance of our application, we had been decorating our initiating priestesses with the planetary jewels of outer goddess since 1971, based on Johann Gitchell's 17th century artistic rendition. Now, this might have been under the influence of my late mentor, Frederick Adams, who uh, was in parallel development of his own peripherian version of the Western system, which he published at the same time we published ours in 1977. And we have a reprint of his article in the back of our book. I realized the authenticity and validity of the Western system's configuration in December 1975. The account of this revolution and its early application was covered in the 1977 article, The Hermetic Caduceus, in our journal, The Seventh Ray, which is presented in facsimile in Appendix 1. 
Suffice to say that the key to this enlightenment was the symbolic lightning flash or flaming sword on various golden dawn graphics depicting the descent of the light from Kether down to Malkuth in direct numeric progression from 1 to 10. All one had to do was straighten up the zigzag path and the three pillars became one and the great mystery was solved. I soon laid out an early version of the full system when we began working it in Lodge, using the ritual to activate the Sephira within and then expand it to merge with the, with the Sephira we had opened in the temple. This gave it a new depth, power, and resonance to our work. Let me point out that this drawing down of power cannot be done with the Eastern Chakra arrangement adopted by some Western schools. You cannot bring the power down the lightning flash or up from below because the planetary Sephirotic assignments are not in order. These systems are limited to passive meditation and being alchemical rather than Kabbalistic makes this appropriate. We soon began to fill out the system with correspondences in all three dimensions. We used the standard Golden Dawn names of power and Atzaluth going down to Malkuth and then coming up with the Briatic angelic names to open the Azuratic palaces and connect with Canaanite goddess, goddess and god forms. At Joe Wilson's suggestion, we incorporated the system into Golenic Invocation, having the operator visualize and activate the psychic centers from behind the receiver as he called down names of power. The system became an integral part of nearly all of our operations. We used Eastern techniques such as Tridacom training, fixed gaze, and Pranayama controlled breathing, along with other standard yoga practices such as asanas, mantras, and eventually mudras, as a concession to their many years of successful employment in Eastern practice. However, up until 1985, my formal yoga training had not had been limited to a few weekend classes with Americans who had been taught or, or claimed to have been taught by Eastern gurus in 1985. Well, in 1985, that all changed. One of my anthropology graduate school committee professors who was familiar with my special interests, revealed himself to be a member of the Sakya tradition of Tibetan Tantric Buddhism and invited me to join a select group of American students who would take an intensive program of initiations and training with a sojourning at Abbot from Dharamsala, including Ken Rinpoche, and his cadre of lamas, including the American Lama Samten, who would translate all of the sadness, the rites, into English for us as we proceeded. Looting Ken's sojourn in Los Angeles would last for 10 days and follow-up instruction would continue at the Sakya Center. Dr. Ravitz told me that a few years ago some people would have given up everything they had and waited for years for a chance to get what you're getting. I, I know you'll get the most out of it, he said. And there was much to get the most out of. The Sakya Order had prepared a full program of tantric initiations and meditations, all presented and documented in English except for Sanskrit mantras, which were translated in text, with the whole corpus edited, revised, and reconstructed for Westerners. From the standpoint of learning and practical experience, it was the equivalent of spending a year in a Tibetan monastery struggling to understand rituals in Tibetan. 
We started with a Chinrisi initiation followed by a Hivajri empowerment, that's the Petra deity of the Saki order, and on into the main emphasis of the program, Hivajri of Uni initiation and intensive empowerment taught from a 100-page syllabus detailing every aspect of the work. Marjorie Yogini is the Tibetan counterpart of our Canaanite war goddess Anath, and in every and, and, and which who was an early aspect of Astarte. So, being the master of the order of the Temple of Astarte, I could not have selected a more appropriate Tibetan tantra to master. Although, in a greater sense, our Astarte is more of a Tara goddess than a Dakini. So I sought out a Tara initiation to balance the uh, the archetype. I continued my Tibetan tantric study and practice with the Chakmarsambara initiation, that's Vajra Yogini's male counterpart, in 1987, followed by a Vajra Kilaya, Red Tara, and a Black Manjusri from H.H. Sakya Drazen, head of the Sakya order in, eight, in 1989, and culminated my Tibetan studies with a Kala Chakra initiation from His Holiness the Dalai Lama the same year. This Tibetan experience was an invaluable aid to our developing the Hermetic Yoga program. The American Lama Samtan had cut down Vajrayogina Pranayama cycles, affirmations, and mantra repetitions to the minimum he believed Americans could use and still achieve results. Perfect model for our preliminary practice. However, we did not translate the Vajrayogini or Tara programs directly into a Hermetic Yoga version. Had had we been using an Eastern chakra system, we could have done so, but our Western structure would not allow it. We stayed with our middle pillar-based system, using what I had learned and experienced in my Tibetan sojourn to enhance and intensify our own unique program. The Tibetan experience also provided another invaluable asset, total credibility at least to my own satisfaction. I realized that what we had was just as spiritual, just as empowering, and just as effective as what the Tibetans had, and they had had a thousand years of study and practice behind them. I was now able to, to, to practice and teach our system with complete confidence, even as we continue to develop and improve it. Another benefit of my Tibetan experience was uh, that was freedom from the tyranny of the Woodruff Chakra arrangement. Anyone who has dabbled in New Age Yoga knows that this classic Indian chakra system is everywhere and assumed to be the universal authority. How could you possibly challenge it? The chakras are connected to the glands and to the nadis and the acupuncture points and the vortexes, and the etheric matrix, and the auric emanations. But are they really? And even if they are, what difference does it make? The Tibetans have a different chakra arrangement for every deity they, they internalize. And you don't can find this out until you're actually initiated. The Sufis refer to the chakras as the Lata Eve, and they say you can have them anywhere you want them, while, uh, while they secretly use our Western arrangement. So when you encounter a true believer in the classic Laya Yoga system who insists that his is the only true chakra arrangement, you, you do not need to, to disagree. 
simply inform him that his chakra system is etheric and yours is astral. His system is alchemical and yours is cabalistic. And his system follows the paths of the tree of life while yours follows the spheres. And magical color is what we impose upon the astral, not what we scry on the etheric plane. Well, while he's trying to figure all this out, you can probably change the subject. Now, please understand that I have the deepest respect and appreciation for the Laya Yoga system. I have a treasured copy of Goswami's Laya Yoga, and I have learned much from it. And I think there are connections between the chakras and the glands of the body and the physical nervous system. But that does not mean that we should all practice the spiritual exercises of another culture whose philosophy and spiritual traditions are not our own. In the years following my Tibetan initiations, we made several advances in the system that made it more philosophically elegant and spiritually powerful. We created a practical version of the Golden Dawn's 11-sphere tree of life and directed our descending current of supernal power into the cannibalistic cube of space as represented by the human head. Thus, the three mother letters, Aleph, M, and Sheen, could converge on Saturn Tau in the center of the skull as a manifestation of a true tetragrammaton and a replication of the original creative process. This concept needs to be visualized and contemplated to be appreciated. And then I refer you to the graphics in the book. Uh, we have included our original paper on the 11-sphere tree arrangement as an appendix to this work for reference. We developed a series of mudras based upon the symbols of the four elements and the musical scale for our descending chant. Most recently, I discovered an effective mudra for opening the third eye. Of course, one of the most re rewarding and, uh, and inspiring aspects of, our, of this system is visiting the interior yet Zurich palaces of the gods and goddesses of our pantheon. They are friends and advisors whom you can consult with at any time, and each is constrained by an archangel in the Briatic level above the Azuric or Yetzeratic. Now, manifestation of the sphere. Our Canaanite Phoenician god forms are quite compatible with the Solomonic biblical mythos and the Kabbalah. The Yetzeratic formative world aspect of our system is also quite hermetic, as students of the Golden Dawn should be aware. The Golden Dawn version of our system uses ancient Egyptian gods and goddesses in the Yetzeratic palaces. And see also Fred Adams' Ferifarian version for ancient Greek assignments. The Hermetic Kabbalah is an amalgam of biblical and classical pagan mythologies. In this sense, it is similar to Tibetan Tantric Buddhism, which also involves and evokes a collection of deities and demons as aspects of the personality, all under the aegis of the Lord Buddha. In the Rosicrucian modality, they would be made the Aegis of the Lord Yeshua and his consort, Lady Mary Magdalene, as we have explained in our in our article relating to the system of the chemical wedding of Christian Rosencruz. We should all remember that thrice greatest Hermes himself declared, the gods of the zodiac are eternal, but man creates the gods of the earth sphere. As above, so below, as within, so without. You are the center of your universe, 
and the supreme ruler of your personal reality. We invite you to create a personal reality worthy of your hermetic tradition and the divine presence within yourself. To Estes, Frater Fabian, G.H. Frater D.A.L., for those that are interested in that, that end of it. Now, that gives you a pretty good idea of what this book and the accompanying card deck uh, will, will be like. By the way, when I say card deck, what we want to do with uh, we have the mandalas and the icons. Uh, the Tibetans would call an icon what they they they, they talk of the of the different god or or Yadams, uh the bikinis. Uh, they have uh, uh, paintings which they call tanka tankas, and we refer to these as icons, as that's more of a Western uh, a Western term. So we have for each one of our, uh, our our spheres, we have a mandala, which is a which is a gon. If you're familiar with the uh, the uh, the geometric gons and the uh, you know pentagons, octagons, septagrams, and septagons, or whatever. So we have a geometric design of a mandala with a with a Phoenician seed letter for each one of the uh, mystic roses. And then inside, once you enter that, you're in the palace, you're in the Yetzeratic palace of the god or the goddess. Now, those of you who have followed our broadcasts and and, uh, are familiar with our work, you know that we have uh, a pantheon of Canaanite god and goddess forms. And so coming up from below, we use, uh, instead of the uh, Kundalini snake, we use our, our dragon of chaos, Lotan, who who became the Leviathan of the Bible. We mount the dragon down in his in his treasure cave and, and ride him upward. And this is similar to what Gitchell was theorizing. Let's talk a little bit about uh, about Gitchell and Borm and how they conceived this whole thing. But Jacob Borm actually was a magnificent Christian mystic along the same line as Meister Eckhart somewhat earlier. He was very much aware of the great I am, or that uh, you know, man is the microcosm, and he was very much into in, in, into hermetic writings and also into Pythagorean, into uh, into uh, Paracelsus and into Pythagorean philosophy in general. And Jacob Born conceived of the idea of the planets within the body. This was a concept, by the way, that was first embraced by Marsilio Ficino way back uh, in the Italian Renaissance. And Marsilio Ficino kind of went along with our, with our arrangement. He realized that Saturn was uh, the, the furthest out. The problem with Ficino was Ficino could not figure out how to place the planets in the, in the body in general. And one of the reasons for that was is that in those days, astrology, in a sense, kind of worked against this principle. Sure, they had Pythagoras conceived of the uh, of the planets, you know, Saturn being the furthest out, and and uh, the moon, of course, being the closest, and and all, uh, and this progression down in a musical scale based upon this 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 progression that came from originally from Pythagoras. But the problem here was that the ancient Egyptians conceived of the stellar goddess Nuit, if you recall. She was the, you remember you've seen pictures of Nuit arching herself over the, over the horizon. So she becomes, and the stars are all 
all over her body, so she becomes the great goddess of the stars. And this got translated on into Greco-Egyptian times into 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 a, a celestial female referred to as the Soma Sophia, the uh, the Lady of Wisdom. And so they they what they tended to do was apply the signs of the zodiac to this female and sometimes male figure. So what you ended up with was a was quite often a human figure that would have all the signs of the zodiac from one end on from the toes to the top of the head. And that's the way the that was supposedly the celestial makeup. Well, now if you think about it, the planets revolve and we all know and they knew that too. So so the uh, they where are the planets they're revolving and so placing them Placing them on the zodiacal man is not going to work. So consequently, that's one of the reasons why the idea of, of having the planets running running from the top of the head on down to the, the pelvis just didn't seem to be practical at that time. And, and another reason, of course, for this was that, that alchemy, which actually preceded Kabbalah, uh, alchemy uh, really did precede Kabbalah. Alchemy had its own form of symbolism, and what we have to realize with this is is that that uh, alchemy involved the evolution of metals, and and in other words, metals, uh, according to the alchemical theory, metals grew. They grew in the earth. Lead could eventually grow into gold. It would eventually perfect itself into gold. And so consequently, if you took an alchemical analog, you were you were processing, either they were growing uh, on their own, evolving on their own accord, or, or, it was a, or it was a process of alchemical transformation. That you were that you were using, so consequently, uh, alchemy was not was not really suited to uh, a planetary situation. But, however, regardless of that, the planets themselves ended up with alchemical attributes, and this caused further confusion. In other words, the moon was silver, the sun was gold, and and Saturn was lead, and and so this led to no pun intended, this led to a number of problems when you talk about the uh, the order of the planets because Saturn is the furthest planet out and it's where the physical universe starts according to the later Kabbalah, but that's not where the physical universe starts or, or at least really not the epitome of anything according to, to alchemy because lead is is a heavy metal and it's it's very, very impure and it needs to grow or be transformed and to be elevated. So here, unfortunately, they applied lead to Saturn. So consequently, we had now this symbolism, this alchemical symbolism, got applied to, at a certain point, got applied to the paths of the Tree of Life. This was later on in the in the Renaissance. And Quite frankly, our Western our Western tarot system, our Western tarot cards are are also connected with the the paths, as you know, on the on the tree of life. So they are tied up with these alchemical planetary attributes. Also, this whole business got over 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 into India, and this influenced the establishment of the chakra system over there. 
And that Laya Yoga system actually does uh, very closely correspond to the to the planetary uh, and alchemical uh, symbolism on the paths of the Tree of Life, which which has caused uh, a number of um, of systems that have been created uh, that that various Western schools use to apply the paths to the chakras rather than the spheres. But you 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 know you look at this and you think, well, what what is this? The spheres obviously ought to be the chakras. I mean, that that just that's just common sense. But uh, unfortunately, the, this the way it came about was that the paths uh, had this alchemical this alchemical symbolism and also planetary symbolism, which which brought that about. So we have some. Uh, I don't think I want to mention which particular organizations use use uh, this version of it. You, you, the, the, those of you who are listening probably know the ones I'm talking about. But this is just generally you would look at when you look at the tree of life, and then you think about chakras. Your first thought should be, my gosh, the the spheres, the spheres should certainly be the chakras. Well, that's that's logical, and they should be. And uh, they they are the planets within. Now, how did it come around? How did the Western system finally finally break break loose from this mold? Well, it it broke loose from it, as I say, with with uh, with Jacob Borm and and Johann Gitchell, because they both realized that man was a replica of the universe. Uh, Jacob Borm was, was very influenced by the Kabbalah, which was starting to come at that pit in the in the in the early 1700s, uh, 17th century, the early 1600s. Kabbalah was beginning to to come on into became Rosicrucian philosophy. It it began to leak over, and uh, and uh, Jacob Borm was very very taken with the Adam Kahneman concept, and that's how he produced a. Uh, a picture of a man with the planets inside him, because he he felt that that was a that was his version of, of the Adam Catman of the Kabbalists, and she called the, the the natural man. Now, so so they finally finally began at this point to to uh, consider with Borm and and the Kabbalah. Now, why well the Kabbalah is actually in 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 many ways. It's kind of uh, a late comer on the on the uh, in the Western uh, uh, tradition. The Kabbalah really didn't get going uh, until the Middle Ages. At uh, the Sevriyat Zira, which is our first the first book of the Kabbalah that we're, you know, which is the World of Formation, still one of the most influential. The Sevriyat Zira sets up the, the the whole design of the Tree of Life and the Cuba space. And, and these various constructs, the paths, and everything. Uh, the Sevriyat Zira is called the Book of Formation, and and it it's, dates back to around 300 A.D. Well, quite frankly, it's uh, it's based on on the Greek on the Greek Kabbalah, on the Greek Kabbalah. Uh, well, according to Kieran Berry, it's based upon the Greek Kabbalah of Marcus the Valentinian, and. Uh, I think that's a pretty pretty fair statement. Marcus is the is the uh, the fellow who developed the uh, the Greek Kabbalistic concept of the Summa Sophia, which we have managed to, to uh, interpret in our uh, in 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 our workings. 
So Jacob Bohr conceived of this idea of of man having all these planets within him and 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 having the whole universe inside him. But Jacob Borm really venerated women. Jacob Borm thought women were more spiritual than men. He was happily married, had children, and and, and had nothing against sex at all. In fact, uh, he was a very uh, a very healthy very healthy minded individual. And probably one of the reasons why why William Blake really preferred Jacob Borm's philosophy to that of Emanuel Swedenborg. You know, Emanuel Swedenborg thought anything anything that was fun was was bad, and and of course Blake uh, Blake enjoyed uh, uh, he enjoyed fun and sex and 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 nudity and 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 uh, Blake was just a he was a, he was an early early day uh, neo pagan as as we all know, but he preferred Borm's writings to uh, uh, to to Swedenborg. Jacob Borm's primary disciple came up after he died and that was that was Johann Gitchell George Johann Gitchell well Gitchell was the opposite of Borm when it came to sex Gitchell was a confirmed bachelor and he was afraid of women he he didn't even want to have married men in his circle of students and uh and he sure he venerated the Soma Sophia the the the, the heavenly goddess so Gitchell, Gitchell came up with the same thing. He came up with the with the the drawing of the of the of the the natural man, the universal man containing all the planets inside him. And he, with the idea of of the dragon, of using the dragon kind of like the Kundalini, the dragon is a kind of a of a mary of a, of a moving marriage bed like a chariot. He had the right idea, but he had the wrong slant on it. Yeah, he realized that the dragon was sexual power, just like the Easterners know that the Kundalini is a sexual force. So his idea was was to conquer the dragon, conquer the dragon, and then rise up as the dragon rises up. We're going to purify all of these planets of their, their evil aspects. Well, there's a certain amount of, of Gnostic philosophy involved here by Sobotendorf in his very, very, very interesting book, and that's the secret of the Sufi, of the Turkish Sufi, Sufi Freemasons, uh, which is the book that re, that re, that actually reveals that this was uh, an ancient Rosicrucian system, which the, the, those of us who have read it realize is one of the one of the most mysterious documents in the Western tradition. And if you can figure out the allegory, all of the strange allegories of purification and sacrifice and, and everything, which are which are spiritual alchemy. Now this, uh, as I pointed out, has a certain relationship to Marcosian, the Marcosian version of Christianity, which involves the uh, you know the quest for the Holy Grail and what have you. And uh, Marcosian Christianity could, in this sense, be almost considered to be the first Rosicrucian experience in that respect. At least we would like to consider it that way. In any case, uh, the relationship between Gitchell and the Rosicrucians uh, is seems to be confirmed by uh, Sobotendorf. And, and by the way, that that book is 
Stephen Flowers has translated Smotendorf's book on the secrets of the Turkish uh, Sufi Freemasons into English, and that is very, very well worth reading, whether you're a Mason or not. And in this book, he he definitely says that this Turkish Masonic group that he belonged to, that they that they had learned the psychic center system originally from European Rosicrucians, and Willie Schroeder, in his Rosicrucian notebook, which came out back in the 90s, he quoted Sibotendorf and tended to confirm Sibotendorf's uh, assertions. And also that this system had originally been outlined by Amateur Thymius himself, which was apparently known to uh, Jacob Borm and, and, uh, and perhaps Gitchell also. So there's a long history behind this Western Psychic Center system. There's a history, and there is, uh, and there is some very significant uh, early scholarship behind it. It would not have come about had it not been for the marriage of Kabbalah and Rosicrucianism. If the Rosicrucians hadn't, hadn't taken in the Kabbalah and uh, adopted the Kabbalistic symbolism, we probably wouldn't have had this, had this occur. But it did, and it is, and it's our system. And I'd like to say that I hope that by publishing this book and by and, and getting these cards out, that we will encourage people not just to, to join us, although that's fine, I mean, we like that, but we would like to encourage other groups who may venerate other pantheons, like the Greek or, or some of the European uh, religion, the Celtic or, the, or, or even the Nordic or whatever, you could actually adopt this psychic center system to whatever pagan pantheon you particularly want to venerate. And, and use it the same way that the Renaissance, if they'd had this in Ficino's time and, and Pico Pico and Ficino's time, I think they certainly would have used it. And because the early Renaissance magicians were really they were really closet pagans. They wanted to they wanted to bring back the old gods, but they wanted to do it under the ages of the angels and, and they wanted it to be approved by the by the church or whatever, or at least they didn't want to be burned at the stake. So now we can do what they wanted to do back in the Renaissance. We can we can have our, our pagan pantheon. We can have our, our ancient gods within. I think that when you get right down to it, this will be uh, something that, that I'm sure we can, we can all benefit from. And I'm looking forward to getting it uh, off to it. Amazon, where you can all where you can all buy it and enjoy it. So next week, now we'll be Sandra and I'll be on the road for a while, visiting other lodges and what have you. So next week we'll have one of our better shows that we will rerun. I guarantee you we'll pick a good one. In fact, uh, we'll probably pick one related to this. So uh, we'll be back live in in about uh, two weeks. And meanwhile, good magic.